Welcome back and thank you again for tuning in to our online service. Just before I get into the message for uh, today, I want to mention, unless you, you may not have heard, that on June 20th, so two weeks from today, we will be moving uh, our services from outside. For the past several weeks, we've been having services on the parking lot outside, but we will be moving inside. And the plan at this time is to have two zones, and uh, the children's ministry will have a zone as well. All of the details will be on the website. If you have questions, feel free to give the church a call, and uh, we'd be happy to answer those questions. We'll have three services, the same times that we're currently running our services. We will still need to register uh, for those services. So today's June 6th, so that's the plan for June 20th. Now, as we all know, during these COVID days, things can change quickly. So please uh, keep an eye on the website because if there are changes, we will let you know as soon as possible. So we're wrapping up our series in Proverbs today. In Proverbs, we've been taking a look at wisdom. Did you know there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom? Did you know that it's possible to be incredibly knowledgeable but not have wisdom? I think wisdom, it's not about knowing facts, but I think wisdom is more about the godly application of the knowledge that you have. It's about knowing what to do with what you know, when to do it, and how to do it. We've been looking at the sayings of the wise, and these sayings are intended to help you lead a better life. They're general principles that if you follow them in your life, that the quality of your life will be enriched. It gives us an understanding of the life that God wants us to live. And today we're taking a look at how the wise person should respond to evildoers. Pastor Jim, in his message last week, he said this, he said, it's not the job of the church to condemn evil. The task of the church is to demonstrate the good life. Let me say that again. It's not the job of the church to condemn evil. The task of the church is to demonstrate the good life. And the good life that we demonstrate can only be found through the wisdom and teachings of God. And it's as we live out and apply these words of wisdom to our lives that our lives and our community demonstrate the good life. And our life becomes salt and light and people are attracted to Jesus because of the good life. So how should we respond to evildoers? I remember where I was when I heard the news that Osama bin Laden had been killed. It was one of those events in my life that I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing. You know how there's certain events that be kind of come in, etched in your memory? I'm sure many of you could say, well, I know what I was doing where I was when 9-11 happened, or when the Challenger space shuttle uh, exploded. I remember where I was when President Ronald Reagan was shot. He, there was a, an assassination attempt on his life. I was actually working at a car wash in Edmonton. I was going to Bible college, worked at a car wash, and I was vacuuming a car that was going to be going through the car wash, and the radio was on, and I heard President Reagan had been shot. And that became etched in my memory. I don't remember John F. Kennedy's assassination. I was too young, but I do remember Elvis when, when hearing the news that he had passed away. But I remember where I was on May 2nd, 2011, that's when Osama bin Laden was killed. Uh, I was in the United States. My wife and I were enjoying a holiday. We were down in Discovery Bay, Washington. 
And what I remember most about hearing the news was not the news that he had been, been killed, but what really caught me was the reaction uh, to the people. And so the newscast I was watching, they were doing interviews in all different places throughout the United States. And there was great jubilation and rejoicing and celebration in the streets. And I found myself feeling a little bit awkward with that, saying, well, how should a Christian respond? Even when an evil person is killed, how should a Christian respond? I understand relief. I think if he wasn't eliminated, he would have just continued on killing as many people as he could have. I understand relief that the sense that he's been removed. But I struggled with the rejoicing and the celebrating and the partying, uh, the jubilation. So the question I want to ask is, how should I respond to evildoers? Not just at their death, but also when they're alive. What should my response be? Our text gives us some wisdom and guidance. In Proverbs 24, verses 19 to 22 are the verses that we're looking at. Here's what it says. Do not fret because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked. For the evildoer has no future hope and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. Fear the Lord and the king, my son, and do not join with rebellious officials. For those two will send sudden destruction on them, and who knows what calamities they can bring. Let's pray. Father, as we take a few minutes and look at this, uh, these teachings uh, and apply this truth to our lives, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand uh, what you're saying in your word as to how we should respond to evildoers. And Father, this would be something that your Holy Spirit enables us to live out in our lives. So I pray you would speak to us through your word today. In your name I pray, amen. So who are the evildoers that is talking about? The wicked and the evildoers. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Who are evildoers? The simplest explanation, those who do evil. In biblical language, it would be those who do not fear the Lord. There are people who are incredibly foolish, who do stupid and bad things. They listen to Lady Folly. We talked a little bit about that last week. There are people who intentionally do wicked things. These are evil people. Proverbs 6 gives us a list of, of evil people. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes. This is a life that's full of pride, looking down at other people. I'm better than other people. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So how should a wise person respond to evil people? Well, the writer in Proverbs says, don't fret and don't be envious. In verse 19, he says, first of all, don't fret. What does it mean, don't fret? Well, it doesn't mean don't worry. It's a stronger word than worry. It really means don't be angry. If you look at the Hebrew word and the, the translation of the word, it's referring to somebody who burns or grows warm. They're getting hot. It's the same word used to describe Potiphar when he received the news, falsely, of course, that Joseph had raped his wife. He burned with anger. So the word fret means becoming angry. He says, don't fret. Don't become angry. Don't become angry at God. Don't become angry at the evildoer. Don't get angry. 
And don't be envious, he says in verse 19. You know, that begs the question. As I, I was reading, as I was preparing for this, it, it, it seems interesting to me that he would say, don't be envious. Like, why on earth would I be envious of a wicked person? Why would I be envious of a, an evildoer? Well, let me ask you something. Have you ever looked at the world and thought evildoers are winning the day? We watch evildoers in our world today. You don't have to look far to see them. And sometimes they seem to prosper and they're successful. And we think, that's not fair. God, look it. It's not fair. That shouldn't be happening. They're living this way and they're, they're having all the success. You know, this is one of the most common narratives about God that, that I think that we have today that is a false narrative. And it's this narrative, this understanding, this belief that God responds to me based on my behavior. So if I'm good, God is pleased with me and my life will be good. And if I'm bad, bad things will happen in my life. And if bad things happen in my life, it's because I've sinned and God is punishing me. Pastor Sam and I love to go fishing. And we tease each other a little bit. And some of this narrative comes through in our teasing because if Sam's catching all the fish and I'm not, I'll say, Sam, you must be living right. Or if I'm catching the fish, Sam says, Rick, you must be living right. And of course, the opposite of that is, well, obviously you're not because you're not catching any, other, any fish. But seriously, we, we joke with one another. But in all seriousness, there's this narrative that I think is incredibly dangerous um, when we believe that if good things happen to me, it's because I'm being good and God's, uh, I'm in his good books. Uh, I had my devotions today, I prayed today, and I didn't think any bad thoughts today, so that's why uh, good things are happening to me. Or if I didn't have my devotions today and I didn't pray and I thought some bad thoughts, then, well, that's why these bad things are happening to me. The thing with these false narratives, and actually we explored this in detail a few years ago. We went through a series on the good and beautiful God, and we looked at the different false narratives and then Jesus' narratives. But false narratives, narratives have a kernel of truth, because I will reap what I so, um, I do believe that even if heaven wasn't a reality, that the very best life that we can live is the life that Jesus describes to us, that is described to us in God's word. When we take the words of wisdom in Proverbs and apply them to our lives, the best quality of life that we could ever experience is by applying these, life, these, these truths, these words of wisdom to our life. Jesus says, um, that you will have trials and tribulation in the world. So you could be Billy Graham. You could be the most spiritual person you could ever think of, but you won't be exempt from trials and tribulations. But if this narrative, this narrative that if, if I do good things, I pray and do and have my devotions, all that, um, then good things will happen. If that's the narrative that we embrace, then it won't make sense when we see evildoers succeeding. Like, why are they succeeding? Because they're bad people. That shouldn't be happening. We're going to struggle with it. Maybe we would even get angry. Or we might even become envious. The theologian Augustine wrote about this in the 4th century. Listen to what he says. He says, we do not know why God's judgment makes a good man poor and wicked man rich, nor why the wicked man enjoys the best of health, whilst the man of religion wastes away in illness, even then it is not consistent. 
Good men also have fortune, and evil men find fortunes. So though we do not know by what judgment these things are carried out or permitted by God, in whom is the highest virtue and the highest wisdom and the highest justice, and in whom there is no weakness nor rashness nor unfairness, it nonetheless is beneficial for us to learn not to regard as important the good or evil fortunes which we see shared by good and evil persons alike. I, I really like how transparent, how very real Augustine is being. He says, I don't know why God allows this. We can't make sense of it. There's no system to explain the whys. I don't know why. I think as humans, we like to have a system. We like to be able to explain things. But there are some things we can't. Psalm 73 is another example of, of somebody struggling with this, this dilemma. Asaph, he's the, the, the writer of Psalm 73. He was a leader who was with King David. But listen to what he writes. He says, For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such a painless life. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They aren't troubled like other people or plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and their clothing is wo woven of cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. Does God realize what is going on? They ask in the most high, even aware of what is happening. Look at these arrogant people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Was it for nothing that I kept my heart pure and kept myself from doing wrong? All I get is trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. That's what he says. I love that last two sentences. I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. That's in Psalm 73, and it is an incredibly difficult task because it's impossible. We can't fully understand God's ways and motives. Why not? Because we're not God. Does this happen today? Absolutely. All you have to do is listen to the news. Not long ago, I remember of a story in the news. It was of a couple down in the States who were arrested, and they're now serving a life term in jail. But they were arrested for torturing and starving their kids, all of their kids but one. And they had 13 kids. So 12 of them, they tortured and starved. It was evil personified. Yet, I know God-fearing couples, Christian couples, who aren't able to have kids. And you know, I ask myself, why? Why is this evil couple capable of having kids? kids, not just one or two, but 13, only to abuse them terribly. And yet there's godly people who can't have kids. If I was God, I would fix that. But you know what? I'm not God. And I can't, I can't answer the why. I don't understand the why. But I do know that God is just. Augustine, 
in the earlier quote I used, said that God possesses the highest wisdom and justice, and we don't need to spend time worrying about why, because we simply cannot know. It's not that these people will escape justice. The Proverbs is telling us, don't be angry or envious towards evildoers, even if they seemingly prosper in this life. Why? In verse 20, he says, because they have no future. It says, the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. They're, they will be called to an account. Eugene Peterson says, he paraphrases verse 20 uh, in the message. He says, they're headed down a dead-end street. Think of the many evil dictators our world has seen, Nero, Stalin, Hussein, Pol Pot, Hitler, could go on and on. For a brief moment, they seemed to be winning. Their lights were burning brightly for themselves and their regimes. All evildoers, though, will stand before the judge of all mankind, his creator. All of these evil dictators I talked about, this couple I referred to, they're going to stand before God knowing that those who do evil against us must one day stand there should have a profound effect on our response to our enemies. And this is what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 12. He says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, Paul was a realist. He realized you can do everything right, but that doesn't mean you can be at peace with everyone because it has to be reciprocated. But as far as is possible with you, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. See, vengeance is God's business. God is the only one who does vengeance properly because he is just. Perhaps you think that in light of everything, you know, if we go back to Osama bin Laden, all of the atrocities that he committed, the, all of the deaths, and if he wasn't removed, the damage and the deaths and the murders that he would have continued to do. Maybe you're thinking, well, being shot in the head is too good for him. And you know what? You might be right. But that's not your call. That's not your concern. There's a judge in heaven who will see that the scales of justice are properly balanced. Pro pro part of the problem, is, I think, is that we want these scales balanced right now. Our timing and God's timing are often different. And so we submit to him who is just and wise and whose timing is perfect. We cannot know why good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people in this world. It's beyond our understanding. But I believe one day it will become clear. Proverbs says the wise person doesn't become angry at God or envious of the evildoers because they have no future. They're on a dead-end street. But that begs the question, how should I respond to evildoers? Verse 21 says, fear God and respect your leaders. So let me just touch on those two really quickly here. First, God's word says we're to respect our leaders. That's referring to government leaders. And this echoes what Paul says in Romans 13, that we're submit to, to submit to our leaders. What does that mean? And does it still apply if your leaders are evil? See, Paul doesn't say that we have to submit in all cases. Paul and the other apostles, they refused to obey commands from people in authority to stop preaching the gospel. But they did, however, submit to those in authority in all matters that were not in contradiction to the will of God. So as long as the government wasn't stopping them to do, from doing what God had called them to do, they would submit. 
So why should we submit? Paul, Paul is clear. He says every authority in the world was established by God. This would include, of course, good leaders, evil leaders, and everyone in between. Does this include Justin Trudeau? Uh, it might be stretching it a bit. No, of course it does. We're to respect him. He's our leader. How about Mike Horgan? How about Bonnie Henry, who's making all sorts of rules along with the government leaders that are impacting our daily life today? Well, we're to be praying for them. We're to be submitting to them. If the government tells us we need to wear an, a mask in church, is that persecution? Should we? It boggles my mind that some might think that's persecution. You go to places in the world today where just uttering the name of Jesus, saying, I'm a Christian, you could lose your life. That's persecution. But asking the government, telling us we have to wear a mask in church because we don't want to spread this, this disease, should we listen to them? Should we respect that? Absolutely. If the government tells us to stop preaching the good news, should we? No. Our high authority is God, and that would be in direct contradiction to the word of God. The first century Christians dealt with this. There, was, there came a law where Caesar says it's illegal to say Jesus is Lord. You need to say Caesar is Lord. And they wouldn't do it, because that's a direct contradiction to the word of God. So Proverbs 21 says, though, that the wise person will respect their leaders. No, it doesn't mean, again, if it goes against the word of God. But we need to respect, we need to speak of our leaders in a, in a, in a healthy way, not calling Bonnie Henry a Nazi. I think that's just terrible. A Christ follower, sure, I sure hope a Christ follower followers don't do that but we need to respect them we don't agree with everything it doesn't mean you agree with everything but respect them pray for them and then we're told to fear god in verse 21 the bible refers to the fear of the lord it means having a deep respect reverence awe for god's word his power and his authority and if i have a deep respect for god's word then as a christ follower what he says and his instructions to me are the highest priority in my life. So what does he say to me in regards to my enemies? Well, in the word, it says I'm to love my enemies. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43 and following, he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, loving our enemies means seeing them as human beings in need of the Father's love. And so make it a goal to love as our Heavenly Father loves. And then we're to pray for those who pers persecute you. Praying is loving like our Heavenly Father. Praying chains our hearts. It's really hard to be really angry at somebody and to pray for them at the same time. But pray for those who are wicked, for those who are evildoers. Pray for them. That's loving like our Heavenly Father. And then the final thing I want to mention, and this, this is absolutely not an exhaustive list. Several things could be mentioned, but these three I'm mentioning as far as what the Scripture says about uh, our, our attitude, our response to enemies. Love them, pray for them. But I think what is also incredibly important and helpful is to remind myself of my identity in Christ. I need to remind myself who I am in Christ, that I am forgiven. I am a new creation. I am God's masterpiece. I am set free. I am beloved by God. I am justified by faith. 
Tim Keller, author and pastor, he, he gives a great illustration uh, that I think describes this uh, very aptly, and I want to share it with you. He says, imagine you're a billionaire, and you have three $10 bills in your wallet. You get out of a cab, and you hand the driver one of the bills for an $8 fare. Later in the day, you look in, and you find out there's only one $10 bill there. And you say, either I dropped a $10 bill somewhere, or I gave the taxi driver two bills. What are you going to do? Are you going to get all upset? Are you going to the police and demand that they search the city for your $10? No, you're going to shrug it off. You're a billionaire. You lost $10. So what? You're too rich to be concerned about that kind of loss. This week, Somebody criticizes you. Maybe somebody cheats you out of something or gossips about you or lies about you. Maybe you see something that's done that's highly unethical and, and the person succeeds. What are you going to do? Well, if you're a Christian, will this setback and what you're seeing disrupt your contentment with life? Will you shake your fist at God, toss and turn at night? If so, and here's what Tim Keller says, I submit that it's because you don't know truly how rich you are. If you're that upset about your status with other people, you have totally lost touch with your identity. As a Christian, you're a spiritual billionaire and you're wringing your hands over $10. So don't be angry or envious towards evildoers. God is a wise and a just judge. Trust him. Love your enemies. Pray for them. And remember your identity in Christ, that as a Christ follower, you're a spiritual billionaire. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are in us. Uh, you help us as we navigate the challenges of life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to apply the truth of what we've talked about, these words of wisdom to our lives. Lord, it could be hard to love uh, those who don't like us or those who are evil. Um, but Father, you, you've called us to love our enemies. I pray that you would give us that strength. You'd give us that help. Lord, we don't need to approve and we don't approve of evil. But Father, we need to see people through your eyes. So help us to do that. In your name I pray, amen. We'll be back in just a minute with a concluding thought. As you go into this week, as you live life, my guess is you'll come into contact with all kinds of different people. You'll have interactions with good people, uh, maybe even some bad people, some people who fear the Lord, people who only live for themselves, um, people who are ethical, people who are highly unethical. It's totally possible that this week you'll rub shoulders with all of them. But regardless of who you come into contact with this week, I can tell you this, that you will not meet anybody who Jesus does not love and who did not die for. In John 3, 16 and 17, 3, 16, of course, is the well-known verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. As you go into the week, allow God's love to be shown through your life this week. Be salt and light. The benediction, Romans 11, 33 and 36. Oh, the depth 
of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week.